You guys awake? A little bit. You guys need your espresso. Uh, so we have been in our spiritual disasters series. This is our fourth and our final installment of our spiritual disaster series. We have gone through um, the, the raging seas and the storms. Let me see if I can get this right this time. Pull up my notes. There we go. So we've, we've gone through storms, we've gone through raging seas, we've gone through droughts and emotional twisters, and today we're going to tap in and we're going to focus on the image of a raging storm that's not going to cease. Sometimes we pray to God and we ask God to calm the chaos, to calm the storm around us, and sometimes that's not the case. Sometimes we're all, we have to be a tree bending in the storm. And the only way to not be uprooted, the only way not to snap in half and to fall apart and crumble and crash to the ground is to be able to bend in the weight of that storm. We have to be able to bend with the wind. And um, so we are going to get into our fourth installment. Today's series sermon title is called Bear Root. And we are going to talk about how to stand firm when the storms around us do not seem to cease and how to thrive wherever we are planted despite, um, despite the ground. So if you guys will, bow your heads and pray with me as we ask God to bless today's message. Heavenly Father, we are just so grateful for every person in this room, every viewer who is watching online. We know, God, that we have been drawn here by a purpose. It's not by accident. So we just thank you for chasing us down and putting us right here in this place today. God, I just ask that you would intercede and intervene and have your way in this house today. I pray, God, that you would bless this message, that you would use it for your glory and to bring honor to your kingdom and to touch hearts and change hearts and, and just bring us and draw us even closer to you. And we just bless you and we praise you for all of your goodness. And thank you for being here and welcoming us in your presence today. And we just ask that you would have all the honor in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, guys. So make sure you have your Bibles ready, your notebooks ready. We are going to get into our sermon of bearing root, bear root. And we're going to turn to Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. You guys with me? Yep. All right. So it says, I, I'm going to fix my table for a second. Here we go. I want you to know how much I have agonized for you and for the church and for many other believers who have never met me personally. I want them to be encouraged and knit together by strong ties of love. I want them to have complete confidence that they understand God's mysterious plan which is Christ himself. In him lie hidden all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I am telling you this so that no one will deceive you with well-crafted arguments. For though I am far away from you, my heart is with you. And I rejoice that you are living as you should and that your faith in Christ is strong and now just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Now that you have accepted him, we continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. And then your faith will grow strong in the truth that you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. 
So a few things that stand out to me in, in today's scripture, and we're going to break it down, and then we're going to get into Old Testament, because that's just kind of how God flows through my mind and, and all of this. We, we have this letter to the church, and we are to be encouraged to stay knit together, woven together in strong ties of what? Love. I'm going to ask again, and you guys answer. We are to be knit together in strong ties of what? Love. We're supposed to be, as believers in Christ, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we are to be knit, woven together in strong ties of love. And it says, just as you accepted Jesus. So that, there is there's a process, and then there is progression in this. So we accept Jesus. Who do you say I am? Well, we have acknowledged that Jesus Christ is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is the Son of the living God. And so we accept that Jesus Christ is who he says he is. And now, now we're going to go through with the process. Now we are to follow him and continue to follow him so that our roots can dig down deep into him so that our lives may be built upon him. And then your faith will grow strong. It will grow up strong in the truth that you were taught. And then you will overflow with what? Thankfulness. You will overflow with thankfulness, that we're knit together with love, and that we overflow with thankfulness. Thankfulness transforms ordinary opportunities into bountiful blessings. We may be changing seasons. We, we just entered into fall, so it is officially fall for all of you fall haters and summer lovers, we have finally got our season back. I love autumn. And so we are changing seasons. We're turning leaves but one thing remains, and that is Jesus. We are anchored in Jesus. We are anchored by our roots. Roots nurture and they bring health and they provide strength to a healthy plant. So before a plant, we, we're gonna go into a little bit about plant anatomy. As a homeschool mom, I've been homeschooling for seven years and last week, me and my kiddos, we did this like fun little um, experiment on plant anatomy because we're so cool. And so we take these plants and we're looking at them. They start as this little tiny seed and it's dead and it's dry and it's just all shelled up and there's nothing to it. But when it is buried, when you bury a seed into the ground and it gets moisture, so when you water it or it soaks up moisture from the, the soil, from the nutrients and minerals around it, it soaks it up. And what happens is the roots is the very first thing that begins to sprout down. So the roots dig down deep. There are two types of roots in, in a plant. And the, the main type of root, which is the dominant root, which would almost look like a carrot, a big deep root, it is called a tap root. So we have our tap root that shoots down first and it goes down deep and it sucks up and it absorbs these nutrients and these minerals. And then from, it's about to produce results in your life and in the lives of those around you. Today, we are going to explore a biblical character much like our bare root plant. She was born poor. She was born into exile. She soon became an orphan. She was disconnected from her heritage of faith. She was out of touch from the holy practices that set her people apart from their surrounding culture. In spite of it all, she makes her way back to her roots, and then she flourishes God's kingdom because of it right where she is planted. She is the perfect illustration on how we are to branch out and how we are to nourish the world around us despite our circumstances. Can you guys guess who she is? 
Esther. We are going to be learning about Queen Esther. So most of you have heard the story of Esther. Raise your hand if you know the, the book of Esther. Most of us know the book of Esther. But let's dig a little bit deeper into the book of Esther. Let's look at Esther for who she really is, not the, the Sunday school Esther, but the real Esther, the biblical Esther, the historical Esther, because her life was a whirlwind of spiritual compromise and spiritual awakening. Her greatest moment is not marked by the power of force, but her greatest moment is marked by the power of vulnerability. Esther's story reveals to us a way to flourish in a culture where believers and people of faith find themselves stuck in the margins of society. And Esther faces her cold reality and she embraces her weakness as she finds faith, hope, and strength from a source that we might consider hidden. And like a vulnerable, dormant, bare root, fully exposed, only to take root in unfamiliar soil, to thrive and to multiply in what seem to be impossible conditions and unfortunate circumstances. In Esther 1, we meet King Xerxes, better known as the King of Persia. And he ruled over 127 different provinces in his empire. And to all of his people, he was considered the king of kings. And we know Jesus as the king of kings. So back then, this king was high up there. So he would have been considered like a god, like he had divine power. And so in the third year of his reign, he throws this epic party. And it lasts for 180 days. Like, who wants to party for 180 days with the king? And he's showing off his majesty. He shows off his power, his wealth of his empire. And everyone was invited, from the greatest to the least. The courtyard was beautifully decorated to show off with white cotton curtains, curtains of blue hanging down. There were white linen cords fastened around the, the drapes with purple ribbons with silver rings embedded in them and marble pillars. Gold and silver couches stood on a mosaic of pavement with marble and mother of pearl and other very costly stones. So he's showing off his glory. He's showing off his majesty. And then he's serving wine. Drinks were served in golden goblets of many different designs. And there was an endless flow of royal wine. It was almost seeming as if the wine was never ending. And that was to reflect the king's generosity. And at the same time, Xerxes' wife, Queen Vashti, she was also holding a banquet for the women in the royal palace. And when King Xerxes was in very high spirits because of all of his ever-flowing wine, he told his seven advisors to bring Queen Vashti to him with the, with the royal crown upon her head. And he wanted to show her off to all of his noblemen. He wanted to show her off to all the leaders of the, the 127 provinces. He wanted them to gaze upon his wife and to look at how beautiful she was, that he could brag about her, like just as if she was one of his other many golden goblets or trophies. But when the advisors conveyed the king's order to Queen Vashti, she refused to come. And this made the king furious, and he burned with anger. She literally, in a moment, she stood firm in her ground. When she got orders, the king wants you. Put the crown on your head and come. He wants to show you off for everyone to see. 
She's like, you're not going to use me to show off. And then she sent the message to every single woman in the entire empire of Persia. And she says, when a, when a man whistles at you, you remember that you're a lady and not a dog. Church should say amen. <laughs> amen to that. And so this is a problem because we, we can't rebel against the king. We can't rebel against our husband. And if the queen is rebelling against her husband, then that means that the ladies in all of the other provinces are going to look up to her and follow in her example. And so the king has to act quickly. He's been disrespected. And he says, well, what, what must we do to Queen Vashti? The king demanded, what penalty does the law provide for a queen who refuses to obey her king's orders? Well, Queen Vashti has been considered not only to wrong the king, but now she has wronged every noble and citizen throughout the entire empire, setting a very poor example for women everywhere. And thinking and, and with the fear that these women might follow in her example, they might refuse their own husbands when they learn that Queen Vashti has refused to appear, to appear before her own husband, who is the king. And news spreads fast. The message in Esther 1 is very clear. Dissent is not welcome. A refusal to participate results in exile. Vashti was considered intolerant. Her resistance resulted in a social and a literal exile. She was canceled. She was blocked. She was ghosted. In Esther 2, now King Xerxes is on a desperate quest to find himself a new queen. Searching throughout all 127 provinces of his great empire to find the most beautiful young women to bring to the royal harem for the king to see which one of them would please him the most. So we have 127 different provinces or like states, and we're going to bring young women from all 127 of those. So can you imagine how many different women that he has to choose from? It is like an extreme version, an extra version of The Bachelor. And before each young woman was taken to the king's bed, she was given the prescribed 12 months of royal treatment. Six months with oils and myrrhs, followed by six months with special perfumes and ointments. And when it was time for her to go to the king's palace, she was given her choice of whatever clothing or whatever jewelry that she wanted to take with her from the Aram to present herself before her king. And that evening, she was taken to the king's private rooms. And the next morning, she was brought to the second harem where the king's wives had lived. And she would never, never go to the king again unless he had especially enjoyed her and requested her by her name. And so the reality is, is that these young women are being plucked out of their homes. They can't stand up to the men. They, can't, they don't have a voice and what they want to do, they don't have a voice in what they want to speak up on if they want to go to the king or deny him. And now they're being plucked out of their homes to present themselves to a king who, if he never calls her name again, she just lives with all his other wives and continues to receive a royal treatment. But I, I would think that's, I, I wouldn't be able to trade my family. I wouldn't be able to trade my roots with the idea that I might not ever be acknowledged again. And Esther, we have Esther. She is a Jewish orphan who is about 15 years old. She was adopted by her father's relative, Mordecai. 
and they are captiv captivated by the myths of Persia and the king's status quo. Mordecai hands Esther over, but he hands her over with, with careful watch. He sits outside the gates of the palace so that he is able to visit with her very often and he can keep a watch over her. And Esther is very childlike and so she complies. She's very beautiful, she's very humble, and she is very obedient, which sets her apart from all of the other women in the kingdom. And where most of us would say that we, we relate to Queen Vashti, nobody's gonna tell me what to do. Queen Esther was very different. She had a very different spirit about her. When it was Esther's turn to go to the king, she accepted the advice of Haggai, who was in charge of the harem. And she asked for nothing. She asked for nothing except what he advised to her, what he would suggest to her. And so she had a keen ear for wise counsel, and she was admired by everybody who saw her. Esther was taken to King Xerxes at the royal palace in, early, in the early winter of the seventh year of his reign. So she's about 19 years old now. And the king loved Esther more than any of the other young women. And he was so delighted with her that he sets the royal crown upon her head and declares her queen instead of Vashti. And then sometime later, King Xerxes promotes a man named Haman over all the other nobles, making him the most powerful official in the entire empire. And all of the king's officials would bow down before Haman so that they could show him respect and honor whenever he passed by. And this is all as the king had commanded. But Mordecai, the Jewish relative of Esther, her adoptive father, he refused. He could pay his respects, but I can't bow down to anybody but my God, for he is from Jewish nationality. So he refuses to bow down. And so the palace officials at the king's gate, they ask Mordecai, well, why are you disobeying the king's command. The king commanded this. This is what the king says you have to do. And they spoke to him day after day, but still he refused to comply with their order. And so they spoke to Haman. Now they're going to go to Haman about this to see how, are you going to tolerate this? Are you going to tolerate this Jewish guy, Mordecai, not bowing down before you? Who does he think he is? And when Haman saw that Mordecai would not bow down or show him respect, he was filled with rage, and he learned of why Mordecai would not bow down before him. He learned that Mordecai was a Jew, and so he decided that it was not enough to lay hands upon Mordecai alone. He looked for a way to destroy all of the Jews throughout the entire empire of Xerxes. But, but God, God's plan always triumphs the enemy's plot. God has a plan for your life, but the enemy has a plan for your life too. And you get to choose which one you are going to embrace and which one you are going to extinguish. Mordecai had nothing to gain by revealing his Jewish nationality. He had everything to lose though. For this, it was the sake of his soul, for the sake of God's people, and for the sake of us sitting in this room listening online here today. He refused to bow down to Haman. When Mordecai learned about all that Haman was going to do, was planning to do, 
to his people. He tore his clothes. We, we find that a lot in the Bible. They're ripping their clothes. They're tearing their clothes. And he puts on burlap and ashes. And he went out into the city and he's crying and with a loud and very bitter wail. He went as far as the, the gate of the palace for no one was allowed to enter the palace gate while wearing clothes of mourning. And as news of the king's decree reached all of the provinces, there was a great mourning among all of God's people. And so what did they do? They fasted and they wept and they wailed together. And many people took on the burlap and put on ashes. And when Queen Esther's maids and her eunuchs and her advisors came and they told her about Mordecai, she was deeply distressed and maybe even a little bit embarrassed. Like, this is my, this is my father, my adopted father, and he is wearing burlap, laying out in the streets, covered in ashes, and he's wailing. And so what does she do? She sends him clothing to replace his burlap, but he refused it. So Esther sent one of her, her advisors who had been appointed to her, and she ordered him to go to Mordecai and find out what is troubling him so much. Why are you mourning? What's going on? And he goes out to Mordecai in the square in the front of the palace gate, and Mordecai told him the whole story, including the exact amount of money that Haman had promised to pay into the royal treasury for the destruction of God's people. He was willing to invest. That's how much Haman hated the Jews. He was willing to invest into the treasury for their destruction. Mordecai gave Esther's assistant a copy of this decree issued that called for the death of God's people. And he asked that he show it to Esther and explain the situation to her. And he also asked him to direct her to go to the king to beg for mercy and to plead for her people. Threads are bursting, bodies are exposed, garments are being torn. This was all a very common expression of mourning at like a funeral. And in the same circles of Jewish life today, this is something that is still practiced and valued to them. Mordecai was exposed. He was exposed as a Jew. He was exposed as one who was marked for death. And he exposed his own sorrow. He poured his heart out. He did so without the promise of someone coming along and celebrating him and patting him on the back because he had just been so brave and vulnerable. He would instead be ostracized. He would instead be banned from the king's gate. And he would embarrass those who knew him like Esther. No one would say, how brave are you? There was nothing to be gained. His was a display that weakened him, embracing the real risk of vulnerability. Rather than being strengthened, he chose to abide in his own convictions. Mordecai sent this reply to Esther. He said, do not think for a moment that because you are in the palace and that you will escape. All other Jews are killed. If you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place because God is faithful to his people. Amen? But you and your relatives, if you stay silent, you will die. Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for such a time as this. And then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. She said, go and gather together all of the Jews and fast for me, fast for me, pray for me. 
Do not eat or drink for three days or three nights, and me and my maids, we will do the same. So now Esther's tapping back into her, her roots. She's tapping into something, and she's about to branch out, and she's about to pour into those around her, her maids. We don't even know that they're Jewish, but they're going to participate in fasting and praying to her God with her for her protection, for her provision. And then she responds, though it is against the law, I will go and see the king. I will fast for three days, and then I will go see the king. And if I perish, I perish. If I die, I die. How many believers are willing to stand for Christ like that today? How might our world, how might our nation, how might every nation across the globe look if we were willing to stand for Christ and be knit together in love in such a fashion? In the Jewish temple, the only people who were allowed to enter into the throne room were the high priest because it was considered the most holy place. And where God's presence dwells, to go into the throne room without an invitation, without observing the rules or the, the proper cleansing rituals, that was to face punishment. That was to face death. So Esther is being asked to do the impossible. And on the third day of the fast, Esther put on her royal robes and she entered into the inner courts of the palace just across from the king's hall. And the king was sitting on his royal throne and he was facing the entrance when he saw his queen Esther. And she was standing there in the inner court and he welcomed her. Scripture said he welcomed her and he held out his, his golden scepter for her. You see, if he were to withdraw it, if he were to withhold that golden scepter, that would mean that she was going to face punishment and death. But he welcomed her. And so Esther approaches the king and she reaches out. As he reached out to her, she reaches back out to her king and she touches the scepter. And then the king asked her, well, what do you want, Queen Esther? What do you want? What is your request? I will give it to you. Even if it's half of the kingdom, it's yours. But well, Esther took a great risk in entering the throne room uninvited. And the next fruits would result, some major, major results in the generation of her people. And so she requests that her king would invite Haman to a banquet so they might talk. And she says, and there, there I will share my request with you. And so while they're eating and they're drinking wine, again, the king looks at his beautiful bride and he says, tell me what you want, Queen Esther. What is your request? Because I will give it to you, even if it's half of the kingdom. And Queen Esther replied, if I have found favor with the king, and if it pleases the king to grant my request, I only ask that my life and the lives of my people would be spared. She asked her husband for her life. Just give me my life. Give them their life. Spare us. There is a turning leaf between our suffering and our awakening. And this is Esther's bearing root with God. It is in a sense that 
that she is being replanted to help us to receive our living water. Sometimes we are dug up from places and sometimes we are dug up from the places we do not want to be dug up from because it's good and we're thriving there. And then it feels like we go dormant for a while, but God has uprooted us so that he could replant us and he wants us to thrive wherever he plants us. And I believe that's why God is hidden throughout the entire story of Esther. It is the story of a group of people who find their way back to God through a fallen world, through a fallen culture, finding their voice again, finding their voice in faith, standing firm to ensure that the generation after generation might continue to thrive and flourish because of Queen Esther. We sit here and we engage in God's word to this day finding the courage to stand while the world around her was bowing down to idols. She had the courage to die, the courage to die than rather live a dormant life. In Luke chapter two, verse 17, scriptures tell us, the Lord says, if you had faith, even as small as a mustard seed, a mustard seed is almost invisible to the naked eye. But if you had faith, just as much as a mustard seed. You could say to this mulberry tree, may you be uprooted and be planted out in the sea and it would obey you. So think about it. How can you let your roots grow down in Jesus? Maybe you feel dormant right now and you need to tap back into Jesus. Maybe you've never tapped into Jesus and you need to make that decision today. Maybe you're gonna tap into Jesus for the first time. But how, what steps do you need to take in this moment to let your roots grow down deep and tap into Jesus and let your lives be built upon him? That there might be an increase in the spirit of thankfulness that when you tap into Jesus, all the, the news media and social media and all these bad things, just like COVID and all these horrible things that just keep coming our way. It's like bad news after bad news after bad news. And then on top of that, we have our own struggles that we deal with. We have our own personal pains. And God says, let there be an increase in thankfulness. Let thankfulness be knit together, woven together in love, and let thankfulness overflow. What do you have in your life right now to be thankful for, to be grateful for? We should always be thankful for God. For God does not forsake his people. God is always faithful. So if anything, at least we can be thankful for him. And leaves may be turning, but this season has been set apart for you. This season has been set apart just for you. How are you going to dig down deep into it? How are you going to thrive in this season? So the application, your homework for this week is, how are you going to take another step deeper? How are you gonna dig a little bit deeper to tap into Jesus this week? And how can you allow Jesus to be your source to drink in the Holy Spirit so that you are able to stay nourished and to stay anchored despite any storm that you might be going through? And how can you allow your lateral roots, how are you gonna allow your lateral roots to, to branch out and nourish the people, the ones who God has placed around you in this season? You're stepping into a new season and there are people there. And God has chosen you to feed them, to nourish them, to pour into them. 
God has called you, I declare it in, in this house today, in God's house today. If you're watching online, God is speaking directly to your heart. He is saying, I have called you for such a time as this. Are you ready? Will you stand with me, church? Gracious Heavenly Father, we can't even put words together that would even come close to describe your greatness. But God, here we are, and, and we just ask that you would receive them. God, we just lift you up, and we just say we are so grateful for you. Thank you for pursuing us before we were ever, ever born, before we were ever knit together in our mother's wombs, God. You had a, a plan for us. So God, I pray that we might step out into this season. I pray, God, that you would help us to take captive our thoughts, that you would change our mindsets, that you know, despite our circumstance, despite what we might be going through, the storm might be raging around us, but I pray, God, that you would help us to bend in the storm, bend with your wind, bend with the Holy Spirit. Let us stay anchored down in Jesus Christ. We're not going anywhere. And if you decide you want to plant us, we're holding on to our tap roots. So wherever you plant us, we know we won't go dormant and we know we won't die. Jesus, it, you are the life. You are the living water that provides our nourishment. You are the breath that we breathe in every single moment. You never, ever leave us. You never, ever forsake us. God, in this moment, despite our storms, despite the noises of the world, despite the, the chatter, I pray that you would help us to tap into you. I pray, Father God, that you would give us a mindset that we are no longer victims, but we are victors because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And that when we tap into you, God, your Holy Spirit fills us up and that we can stand strong in our faith. You said if it takes, if we have just enough faith that is the size of a mustard seed, if we say to the mountain, move, it would move, it would obey us because we abide in you. So God, may we hold on to that today. And despite what accusations might come our way, no matter what plots the enemy may be scheming against us, we won't fall for them. We will take time in your presence to bow down, to be alone with you, to worship you, to hear your voice. And God, we ask you, we ask you that you would help to make us uncomfortable in our sins. We ask that you would convict us so that we might abide in those convictions, so that we know how to take a step closer to you, so that we know how to pour into a hurting world around us. And God, whatever we soak up through this taproot, let it be branched out. May it be branched out and knit together in love that we might reach out to our spouses and our children and our children's children, and the people in our workplaces, and the people in our schools. May we set down these devices that steal so much of our quality time and start looking people in the eyes again. Might we shut off the television and have a conversation again. May we take time to just hear little voices and take walks and find your details out in the middle of nature. God, you're there. You surround us in all things and everything, in seasons and storms, you do not leave us. You do not neglect us. You do not leave us dormant. God comes to rescue his people. And so God, we declare that today. We declare that we are here to take a stand for you, whatever that might be. Maybe it's accepting you for the first time. And so God, if, if that's the step that we need to take, then Jesus, here in this moment, 
we acknowledge that we are sinners and we accept you. And maybe we're gonna make that commitment again. We're gonna recommit our lives. So Jesus, we accept that you are the Lord. You are the King of Kings. You are the Lamb of God and you are the Lion of Judah. And you are the Son of the living God who came and shed his blood for a world of lost sinners so that we might repent and turn our faces back to you. That we might come home and build up your church, build up your kingdom. That is your promise to us. And Jesus, maybe we've become dormant. So would you, would you fill us up with living water again so that we might flourish and blossom in abundance, that we might produce fruits that nourish this hurting world around us? If you are the light, then we'll be the light. If you are love, then we will be love. You call us your children. So God, wherever it is that you're calling us to follow, May leaves turn in this place today. May seasons change in this place today. But God, one thing will always remain, and that is that you are our anchor. And Jesus, despite anything that might happen to us, despite what our circumstances might be, we're here for you. We are here for you. Set us on fire for you. Give us a holy passion for you. Speak to these dry bones. Speak to these dormant roots and these dormant plants within us and tell us to live again. God, we just want to live for you. All we want is you, Jesus. And so we ask that you have your way in our hearts. We ask that you have your way in our families, in our homes, in our church, in this community, in our schools, God. We just pray that you have your way and may we step out to the calling and step out and embrace and be vulnerable and just do whatever it is that you're calling us to do, all for your glory, all for your honor, because it brings you joy and it brings you pleasure. And God, we do it with a heart full of gratitude that you would even think to have somebody like us come into your throne room. Once orphans, but now we are claimed as children of God. And so may we live that out in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, thank you all for joining us. If you guys are in need of personal prayer, we have um, people back in the prayer room for you. We just pray that you all have a blessed week and a happy Sunday. God bless.